by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Have you had church so far? Man, thank you all for worshiping with us. Lifting up those praise in my pocket. What are you laughing about? I'm, I'm a little drunk in the spirit right now. You're going to have to give me a moment to sober up. <laughs> uh, my name is, is Guy Sheffield. I'm the pastor of this, this here church. We ought to all get drunk in the spirit a little bit more. Don't, don't, don't get drunk with wine, which is excess. But sing to yourself in songs and hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I don't know where to begin. I can begin anywhere, and I could just keep going unending. There is so much to give you thanks for. (laughs) You are so beautiful, so wonderful, so high and lifted up, so perfect and holy and true and just and righteous, awesome. There's not enough adjectives to describe your beauty, your perfectness. We thank you that you care about us. What is man that you are mindful of, of me? I mean, wh- why do you care? But you do, and you come down, and you sent your son to die on my cross. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that he left his throne in heaven to become one of us, to go about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed, to deliver, and he's still doing it today. He's here. Jesus, you're here today. By your Holy Spirit. Father, you're here today. You're, you're looking down upon this congregation wanting to impart wisdom, knowledge, understanding. Most of all, your acceptance, your love, your forgiveness. And you're wanting us to extend it to one another. We thank you that, that everything that you do is good. That you can be counted on. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't change. You don't have a bad day. We're not afraid of you that one day you're just going to get tired of us and wipe us off the map because we know your character. You, know, you don't take any pleasure in, in the death of the wicked, but that all should come to repentance and, and to the knowledge of the love and the grace and the mercy in your son Jesus Christ and be saved. There might be somebody here today. I'm sure there's people here. I, we all need to come to that knowledge more fully. So I open up my ears to hear, Lord. I open up my heart to receive, and I pray that each one of your children here would open up their hearts to receive and believe. Flip on that expectant switch, thinking that today is going to be the first day of the rest of my life. It's going to change something. I'm going to be different when I walk out of here because I've been in the presence of God. I've heard his word. His spirit has changed me. Thank you, Jesus, that you just don't leave us the way we are to defend for ourselves. You're our high tower, our refuge, our shield, our buckler, our sword. You go before us in battle like Brother Gary said. 
you prepare the way before us. And, and you give us the, the sword out of our mouth, which is thanksgiving and praise. Thank you that we're a church busting through the old ways. We're not looking to the past. We're looking to the now. Because now faith is. Now we grab a hold of everything that you have for us. Right now. If you're sitting in your chair right now, turn on that switch right now. Say, I humble myself to receive from you, God. Pour into me. I open myself. I surrender everything that I might. Bless your holy name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Man, I feel like it's a day that we could just, we could pray the whole service, but, but I got such a good message, we got to get to it. How many remembers the Israelites after they got saved from Egypt? God did the, the miracles and the signs and the wonders, and they, they busted through the Red Sea on dry ground. God was awesome. Turned this river into blood and all the things that he did to show that he can deliver you. Somebody might be sitting here today, oh, I don't know if God can deliver me. I've been struggling with this over and over and over, and, I, and I'm a slave to it. Well, God sets the captives free. You don't know, you're no longer slaves, like that song says. You no longer have to be a slave. You can be free. But God opened the way, and they walked through on the dry ground, and they were 11 days to get into the promised land. Egypt is 11 days to what we now know is the promised land, Israel, on foot. They were 11 days, and they bumped up beside it, and they sent spies into it. They checked it out, and they came back and said, yeah, it's everything Moses and God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. Too bad we can't do it. And so they bumped into it, and they went back around again in the wilderness. A few years later, they would camp beside it again, and they would look over into it. But why did they never go in? Why did they never go in to the promised land? Just an 11-day journey. They all died in the wilderness. It was only their children that later went in. You know we're on our current series that heaven is all around us, right? And we started this series with Elisha, you know, and, and the armies were surrounding him and his servant. And he told his servant, he said, God, open his eyes so that he can see. And they looked and on the, on the hillsides, heaven's armies, chariots of fire all around, more with us than is against us. And then I think about Luke chapter 17 where it says, if you're born again, that the kingdom of God is within you. So we have heaven all around us and we have heaven within us. Somebody say amen. amen. Loosen up. <laughs> get ready, get ready. Heaven is all around us and heaven is within us. So why are we not going into the promised land? Why are we not living the milk and the honey? <laughs> well, that's the same reason the Israelites didn't. Same reason today. They didn't use the key. 
Did you know there's a key? Does anybody want to know what the key is? <laughs> Do you want to go in or you just want to die in the wilderness? You want to keep going around. You just want to bump over in and say, oh, yeah, pastor told me about that place. <laughs> well, I'll live over here. But every now and then I'll look in. Oh, I could have, oh, I wish I would, oh. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> What's the key? What if I told you, you somebody has already shared the key with you? Thanks a lot, Gary. We didn't talk about this, but he's preached my whole message. <laughs> Psalms, Psalms 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Say thankfulness is the key. You are dismissed. Where do we go from here? You have the key. You just, oh, you want me to talk you into being thankful? <laughs> because thankfulness is the key that unlocks the gates of heaven. Did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Many of you are probably thinking, why is he talking about Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving? Well, we'll get to that. I went over to my brother's house. His wife has got to be the best cook ever. Got swole up, you know what I mean? <laughs> ate way too much. My mama made this uh, good dessert and ate that. And, and I go plop myself on the couch. And these boys, they don't give time for the food to digest. Come on, Uncle Guy. Come on, Daddy. Come on. Let's go out here and play basketball. Well, I mean, we're grown men. They're just... Kids, you know, we whoop them easy. I don't guess I, I got to let my food digest for that. But then we went down there, and I realized since last year, they may have grown a little bit. You, you boys stand up here. <laughs> These are like tall trees. Y'all sit down. <laughs> okay, and they're, now they're playing for their high school and junior high teams and stuff. Things have changed a little bit since last year. So they want to play me and my brother. Never been a problem before. This time, the first game, this knucklehead, I hit six points in a row. I said, that is just like last year. This knucklehead hit 20 points by himself in a row with somebody guarding him, all from behind the three-point line. Never missed. I, you may have hit a one-two. They beat us like 24 to six. Me and Heath are looking at each other. Okay, now let me explain something. Now i got to pull out my list of excuses. Why? My brother, you know, recently had a lung removed because he had stage 4 cancer. And uh, now he's got a slip disc in his back, so he can't get around. That's, that's what happened. <laughs> so we played another game. And I said, I'll try a little harder this time. They whooped us again. So me and Heath are thinking, what, how are we going to explain this to the family? So I came up with an idea, which I'll, I have a whole list of them. I said, boys, y'all have done good. Y'all have earned the right to play for the championship. The belt, you know. You gotta, you, you, in boxing, you don't just go in and fight 
the heavyweight champion of the world, you've got to earn the right. So I said, boys, y'all have earned the right to play one game for the belt. And, of course, during that game, I started backing them down. I started putting my 100-pound advantage on them. I was, you know, and I, was, I, was, I had to pull out my A game, to be honest. And still they were winning, but I hit two uh, miraculous three-pointers at the end and, and threw up one Hail Mary and went in, and we won. And guess what? Me and my brother still got the belt. We still got the belt. Now, and, you know, in their immature minds, they're thinking, well, we won two out of three, but we don't. You know, that ain't how it works. <laughs> that ain't how it works. Then the next day, me and my brother, why are you, why are you telling all this? Well, it's going to matter in the end. You'll see. It always matters in the end. My brother, me and him went and played golf. We were all stoved up by then. Oh, my goodness. You remember yesterday? <laughs> Thank goodness for golf carts. And so... We played nine, and of course, you know, the tension was rising as we went because we was going neck and neck. And the only reason we was going neck and neck is because Heath has a slip disc, and he can, he has to alter his swing because <laughs> he usually beats me. But I had a three-stroke lead going into the ninth hole, and this hole is over the water. And, and I hit my drive, and it skipped off the water and went across, and I was so excited, but it went right into the woods. And then I hit my next one out of the woods into the next water. And so my three-stroke lead started evaporating. And by the time we got on the green, I had like a four-foot putt to still keep a one-stroke advantage. Guess what happened? No, I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> I punted it. And it went straight in the hole. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And so, and so yes, I won the front nine. But Heath got this idea. He said... You have earned the right to play for the championship belt. <laughs> and so he wanted to play another nine. By this time, we loosened up. We are feeling pretty good. It's a beautiful day, so we played another nine. And, uh, it came, and we went back and forth, competition like you wouldn't believe. I, I had like a one-stroke lead, for, and I held it for like four holes in a row, and it, it, was, it was getting to be nail-biter. You know, your knee's doing this number because you're afraid you're going to choke. But we got to that last ninth hole, and guess what happened? No, I'm going to tell you now. <laughs> I thought about pulling out a, nine, a, a three iron and just hitting it across the water and laying up. But I decided to pull out my driver because I really wasn't hitting the three iron good. And, so, and I wasn't hitting the driver good either. But I figured what, you know, what the heck. So, so I came back and I hit it and I hit the best shot of the whole day for me. And I played it just right along this tree line because I usually have a, a fade. And so I was playing the, or the slice. But I hit this one so good that it went straight along the tree line and hit this one limb sticking out. Dunk, and went straight down back into the same trees. <laughs> Guess what he did? He pulled out a three iron. Laid it up in the fairway. My second shot, I had to chip it over into the fairway where, where he was. So we were basically sitting tied on the last hole, and I had a one-stroke advantage. Angie says, that's enough for now. Okay, we'll come back. But it's going somewhere. You remember two weeks ago, we talked about the words of our mouth, right? We talked about how important what you say is, either positively or negative. And uh, I think we may have mentioned it's not enough just to stop saying dumb things. You've got to replace what you say 
And I got a good idea of what you should replace it with. With thanksgiving and praise. Now that's the sword that the devil can't defeat, right? You put thanksgiving and praise. The reason I'm teaching this message after Thanksgiving is because I didn't want you to get an idea that this is just a, a message about a holiday, a once a year thing. Because I want you to understand this is what Christian, this is the hallmark of your Christianity. This is how, besides people seeing that you love other Christians, this is how they should know that you're a Christian, that you're thankful and you're joyful. And good things are coming out of your heart because the Bible says out of the treasury of, the heart, of your heart, your mouth speaks, whether it be good things or bad things. That's how people should know that you're a Christian. It's your evidence. Now, you ate a good meal on Thanksgiving, right? But you just don't eat one big meal on Thanksgiving and don't eat the rest of the year. You have to eat every day. And so that's why I t I'm teaching this message after Thanksgiving. Because I want you to understand, being thankful is not a once-a-year thing. Today's message, if you're following along on your thing, is entitled, The Key to the Gate, A Thankful Heart. Because everywhere we look, the world is fraught with ungratefulness. Have you noticed that? A bunch of complaining and murmuring. And that's just in the church. complaining and murmuring. But you know what that is? That's a slap in the face to the goodness of God. Think about that. He hears you. You may be just murmuring it to yourself. But it's a slap in the face to the goodness of God. And when you say those kind of things, when you say negativity is coming out of your mouth, your heart grows heavy. Have you noticed that? with doubt, fear, unbelief. Man, those things get heavy. Depression, negativity. Some of you say, well, some of you, when, when you speak those things, it makes other people's hearts heavy. When you're around somebody, probably all of us know somebody, when you see them coming, you just want to run. <laughs> Because they're going to suck all the air out of the room. Right? They're going to just blah, 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 blah. I know because I used to be the blah, blah, blah. I, I really did. Mom. <laughs> She's older. She thinks I still am. But people used to break in the song when they saw me coming. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. <laughs> no, they really did. They had, they had to start singing songs of praise and put on the garment of praise for the spirit of my heaviness because I would just suck the air out of the room with my complaining. Many of you know, I, before I came to be the pastor, I worked at a place called Power and Telephone Supply for like 18 years. And they put me in a four-by-four four cubicle, and it was like, crazy to me because I'm like a racehorse. I, I'm a creative person. I like to see results. I want to do something. I'm a doer. You know, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You got to go outside sometimes. You don't even pee in the house. You go outside to pee. You know what I'm saying? You got to get outside the cubicle. Did I, did I say that? 
Scratch that from the tape, Bill. And I'm swearing each one of you to silence. No. But I'm just being real. And it was too much for me in this cubicle. Day after day, spreadsheets and running numbers and things. Oh, my goodness. And I couldn't draw. I couldn't paint. I couldn't sing. I wanted to do, I wanted to do, really, I, once I got saved, I wanted to do something for God. And I just didn't feel like I was 40 hours a day in this box. And maybe some of you are in a job right now and you're thinking, man, this ain't going nowhere. This is a waste of time. And you have started murmuring and complaining. And boy, I did, boy. I knew it was wrong. I was a Christian. I was probably your youth pastor at the time. I was teaching your children. But if you would have saw me at Power and Telephone Supply, you would say, I don't know the man. <laughs> really? It was so bad. I would try, though. I tried hard. I really tried. I would, I'm not going to say anything negative anymore, and I would come in every day with a, you know, today is going to be a fresh day, and I'd come in, by the time I got my first cup of coffee, I, it was blown. You know, I was already saying something. One day I said something so loud that everybody on my row could hear me, you know, and it was just ne so negative, and it was really disparaging to our bosses and stuff, and I didn't think nothing about it. And I went home, and that night while I was sleeping, the Lord woke me up. And he reminded me of what I said. And he showed me what the consequences of what I said could be. That if the right person would have heard that, that I wouldn't be able to feed my family. That I wouldn't be getting a paycheck anymore. And he got on to me. Has God ever got on to anybody? When God gets something, when he's getting... <laughs> whew, he got on to me. He got on to me bad. And by the time I woke up that morning, I was thinking, I got to change. This has got to change. I don't, and so I asked God to give me a new perspective. And I began to see my job as a source of good money. This, this, this job was paying for my house, for my, the cars we drove, for my children's food. This, this, and this job was full. It was basically a mostly Christian company. I liked the people I worked with. They were good, honest people. They weren't doing me wrong. The only beef I had was I just didn't like what I happened to be doing. And so I had to be honest with myself. I said, God, I didn't do it all at once, but I came to a place where I said, God, I just begin to speak good things and say, I'm thankful for this place. I'm thankful for my job. And I stopped being negative about the leadership and the bosses and thinking that I knew the right way about everything. And I just began to see my job. I got a new perspective. Say perspective. I got a new perspective about these people and this place, even this little cubicle. And I came to a place where I said, God, if this is where you want me, I'll learn to be content right here. And I'm going to be thankful for everything you've given me. And over a period of time, I found myself saying nice things. I found myself Helping the bosses out, saying good things in meetings instead of being the one sitting in the corner, you know, downplaying and upset about everything that's going on. I found myself changing. And then a couple of months later, guess what? I found myself no longer in the cubicle. Just a couple of months later. Thankfulness may be your key to get outside of your cubicle, whatever's boxing you in. 
whatever's keeping you from going to the next level in your life. Thankfulness is your key. Some of you children, you know, your parents give you something, you murmur and complain. If you were thankful, it might be the key to get what you really want. Because your parents ain't going to give you nothing until you get your attitude straight, you know. It's a fresh perspective. Say fresh perspective. That's what we need. Psalms 105, verse 1. King David says, Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Psalms 106, 1. Starts out, says, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Psalms 107.1 says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. King David wasn't a man that didn't have troubles and heartaches and pains. But he started three psalms in a row with give thanks. To the Lord, praise the Lord. Because David knew the key to being a man after God's own heart. Don't you want to be a person after God's own heart? I know God loves me and everything, but I, don't, I wish I wasn't the, the black sheep of the family. You know, some of, some of you, I know within my own self, I got to a place where I was like, God, why do you put up with me? I got so mad at my own self. And everything that I said to the Lord in my prayers was always this. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. And I'm thinking to myself, I would not even listen to this fool if he was praying to me. And that's all he said. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. A healthy perspective fosters thankfulness. Fosters thankfulness. If you get a healthy perspective, a godly, if you see things from God's point of view, you know you've been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and we're still looking around at ground level. We need to be seeing things from God's angle, a new perspective on life. We need to be thankful. Thankfulness also creates a healthy perspective. So you've got a catch-22 going on, and it's one of the few catch-22s that you want to be a part of. When I get up in the morning, these days I try to cultivate in my heart some thankfulness. I get in the shower, and I thank God for hot water. Thank you for a water heater, Lord. And while I'm at it, Lord, I just want to thank you that we have water in the house. If you looked at it from a perspective of how they were 200 years ago, you would be a lot more thankful that you've got carpet on the ground, you've got a warm bed, you've got a Serta Sealy, Posturepedic, or whatever you got. <laughs> you got locks on the doors, you probably live in a safe neighborhood. You live in America. You got an ice box in the kitchen. You, you kids don't know what an ice box is, do you? It's called a refrigerator these days. And it keeps your food ready for you and you can go to the grocery store and just pick stuff off the shelf you ain't got to go kill it or pick it i mean we're living like kings here even the poorest people in america live like better than the kings of old and then we ride around 
in stuff that has everything our house got at 80 miles an hour in a 40. And it's like, oh no, the world's coming to end. My heated seats won't work. Am I telling the truth? Get a fresh perspective. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Did I mention I love y'all? Did I mention that I really love y'all? And I am thankful. I've been thanking God for y'all, each one of y'all, all week long. Thanking God that we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we're on this journey together. Man, I'm so glad I'm not alone in this. I'm so glad I had a, got my, my own family and I've got you as family. And I'm glad we're beginning to see one another in that light. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Always be joyful. Well, how are you always joyful? Well, keep reading. Don't stop praying. Never stop praying. And then be thankful in all circumstances. In all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. What's his will? To be thankful in the good times. But yet in all. All. Say all. All circumstances. I read a book one time called The Hiding Place. It was written by a lady named Corey Ten Boone. You may have read the book. If you hadn't, I would highly suggest it. She was a Christian woman, or a young girl at the time, lived in Holland or somewhere like that. I can't remember exactly where she lived, but she was Christian. And the Jews were being persecuted and hauled off to concentration camps. And so she was hiding Jews. Their family was hiding Jews in their house to keep them from being hauled off. Well, they got caught, and they got hauled off to concentration camps, her whole family. They went to one or two places, I can't remember, along the journey, but they finally ended up in the worst of the worst, a concentration camp where it was torture, killing, genocide going on, a place called Ravensbrook. Total humiliation would make these women walk around naked and you know, you've heard the stories. But her sister Betsy, oh my goodness, she was like a Barnabas. She was just so full of joy. She would not let this crush her. And they had smuggled this Bible in with them. And she would read these scriptures and they came across 1 Thessalonians 5.16 and they had her and her sister Corey had this big discussion about how do you be thankful in all circumstances? Well, they got moved in their barracks in Ravensbrook to, an, to barrack number 28. They went in, and it was so tight that you couldn't even breathe in there. People had to crawl over one another, sleep, sprawled out, not sanitary. Smelly, nasty, bed bugs and fleas infested. And this is where they lived in the cold of winter, with no coat, 
cinder block building. And Betsy had told Corey, we got to be thankful in all circumstances. And so they were beginning to try to find the good. And Corey, Corey said, Betsy, how can I be thankful for these fleas? They're biting me. These bed bugs, what, how in the world could I be thankful to God for these fleas biting me? And Betsy says, we can be thankful that we smuggled in our Bible. We can be thankful that we're still together. She was naming off things that they could be thankful for. And Corey says, yeah, but I just don't see how we can be thankful in all things because of these fleas. <laughs> well, they begin to have Bible studies in that dorm. Late at night, they would get by a candlelight. And they were calling other people over and they were telling them about Jesus with that little Bible they had smuggled in. And this went on and it began to grow and they were worried that they were going to get caught. But nobody ever interrupted them. So they kept and people were getting saved all in barracks 28. And one day, Betsy came to Corey and said, Corey, I know how we can be thankful for those fleas. Because I heard the guards talking about coming in the other day into our barracks and doing an examination. But they said, I'm not going in there. There's fleas in there. And people got saved because the guards would not come in and take their Bible from them and stop and break up their Bible studies because they wouldn't want to get in the fleas. You can be thankful in all circumstances. You don't have to be thankful for all circumstances. But you can know that God is working all things together for your good. And you have to have the faith to believe that you can be thankful even when you don't understand why. Thankfulness sparks your joy. And you need the joy of the Lord. It is your strength. If you lose your thankfulness because of your circumstances, where is your faith? Faith is now, not when you get what you want, but now when you're fighting for what you want. Thankfulness will cause you to value what you do have, to protect what you do have. Some of you have such great gifts right under your nose, and you don't think a thing about it. You have such great relationships that you just take for granted. Look, I'm preaching to myself. This whole nation, like Brother Gary said, was founded on thankfulness. They were thankful that they made it across the ocean. They were thankful that half of them lived that first year. They were thankful for the Indians. It wasn't made a law. It wasn't made a holiday until you said 1939 or something. They were just thankful. You look at the, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Mayflower Compact. You look at the things that they said, and they were thankful people to God in tough situations. But where are we going now as a nation? What are we doing? What are we doing Riots everywhere. The way we treat our officials, our leaders, our law enforcement. Have you seen the way our, our children are behaving? Unthankful. 
2 Timothy 3 verse 1 says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times. We're in the last days. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud. I don't have to listen to you. We didn't get our way, so we're going to have a riot. Not a protest, a riot. We're going to burn somebody else's stuff down just for meanness. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents. And here it is. Ungrateful. If they would have just been grateful, they wouldn't have done all those other things. They consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They want everybody to be forgiven to them, but they're not willing to forgive anybody else. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure more than they love God. If they love him at all. I got a question for you. Where are the nine? Because ten lepers came to Jesus. Filthy, rotten flesh falling off their bones. Infection. Living quarantined. With no hope in the world, nobody to love them, nobody to care for them, just, this is it. I'm just going to die here, slowly, painfully. A lot like we were before Jesus. Dead in our sins and trespasses with no hope in the world. But they saw Jesus, and they went to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, have mercy on us. They cried out for mercy. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, all ten were cleansed. Can you imagine? Here you have no hope for even to live many more years, if a year. But here you are on the way, and you are cleansed. Oh my goodness, a miracle. Think of it. How you would feel. Yeah, it, yeah, we're looking at somebody else's life. It doesn't. Put yourself in that position for a moment. No hope whatsoever. Nobody to love you. Nobody to care for you. Heartbroken. Depressed. Can't even probably lift your head up. And you're going to the priest because Jesus said to and all of a sudden, the leprous skin turns normal and you are healed. Now you can go back to your family. Now you can live. Now you have a new lease on life. Now you really have the first day of the rest of your life. And one, a Samaritan, runs back to Jesus. And he falls at Jesus' feet. And he thanks Jesus. He thanks Jesus. And he worships him. And Jesus says, 
Weren't there ten of you? Where are there nine? Common sense would beg to say, where are the nine? Weren't ten healed? But the one who came back, Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Whatever may have been missing body parts or whatever, he was made whole. Now he enjoyed the best part, getting to know Jesus. Where are the nine? Isn't the only logical and proper response to someone who blesses you is to be thankful? Where were you? Think about where you were at before Jesus. What kind of hope did you have? If you thought about it, some of us didn't think about it. But when you came to yourself and thought about it, you had no hope. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. When you hear something that you've heard before, a scripture that we repeat often, don't shut it off. Look, this word is alive. It'll speak to you something today that it never spoke to you before. Don't shut it off. I do that same thing too. Sometimes I'm reading an article and they put a scripture in there and I just blow past the scripture because I already know what it says. But don't do that. Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Well, how do we do that? Pray. <laughs> same thing. Read, same way that you keep joy. Pray about everything. Keep the line of communication open. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. And I might add, thank Him for the things that He's going to do as an act of faith. Thank God. Then, say then. What is that, a conjunction or something? What's that called in English? I can barely read it. I don't know what it is. All right, so all this and then you will experience God's peace. So we've already saw how to get joy, how not to worry, how to get peace. His peace which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Perspective. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fix your thoughts. Change your perspective. You see, this chosen perspective keeps our eyes on God's ability instead of our own. Me and Angie were having a conversation. This is just come, this is extra. I'm not going to charge you all for this. Me and, Angie were, me and Angie was talking in the car yes, yesterday, and we were talking about how we have to rise above certain things that come against us. How do you get to the next level? It's about a bigness on the inside. You don't have to be smarter. You don't have to be stronger. You don't have to be. You just need to be bigger on the inside, a bigger capacity to understand who your God is. That it's not you anyway, it's your God. President-elect Trump is not going to be president because he's the smartest guy or he has the best hairdo. 
He's going to be president because he's big on the inside. He has the, the audacity to dare to believe he could be president. That he could handle the job. Whether you think he can or not. Most of us would cave at the thought of even running. Bigness on the inside. We have to learn to be bigger than our circumstances. And it's not in our strength. It's in God's. It's having a perspective of seeing things from heavenly view. It's what you are in Christ. Um, Paul and Silas. They're out there preaching the gospel. They're doing good. They're doing what God asked them to do. They're doing the right thing. I'd be doggone if somebody didn't arrest them and beat them with rods. Lay their backs open. Humiliate them. Make a, make a show of them in front of all the people because that's what the people wanted. And because... This might have been after Peter got out of jail, miraculously, I don't know. But, but the guy said, put them in the inner dungeon. Put them down there where we don't even usually keep people, where everything else runs into, if you know what I mean. Put them down there with the rats and the snakes, the damp, cold, muddy floor. And if that ain't enough in the inner dungeon of the jail, put them in stocks, hands and feet, so they can't even touch those open wounds on her back. They can't even scratch their face. Now, which one of us, after they've been down at the mall preaching the gospel, got treated like that and put down in the inner dungeon is going to be singing songs and praising the Lord? No. <laughs> we would have some choice words for the Lord, I bet. This ain't fair, God. I'd do doing what you said. Oh, but at that midnight hour, Paul and Silas, they had, they had cultivated hearts so full of thankfulness, if there would have been fleas there, they would have been given thanks. They begin to pray. They work themselves up in prayer. They went to song. They begin to sing. They begin to sing so loud, God got excited. An earthquake came and opened up all the chains and all the doors flew open and all the prisoners were set free. The stocks flew and hit the ground. And everybody was set free because of the thankfulness and the praise coming out of the lips of, of two humble men sitting there with their backs laid open. The key to unlock the prison that you're in is a mouth full of thanksgiving and praise. I'm telling you, I'm speaking to you, we're all in some kind of prison. We all want into the promised land. We want to be free. We talked about the importance of our words. You want to go that next step and get into the promised land. Use the key. Another thing I wrote is thankfulness is a beautiful witness. It's a beautiful witness. Isaiah said in 
chapter 12, verse 4. In that wonderful day, you will sing. Thank the Lord. Praise his name. Tell the nations what he has done. Let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord, for he has done wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. You want to know how we're going to win the world? Well, we're not going to do it murmuring and complaining. I can guarantee you that. We're going to have to speak something different from the world. We're going to have to show them that there is a better way. Jesus didn't come down here and, woe is me. Follow me. I know it don't look good, but come on, we'll make it through. Jesus was thankful. He was thankful for the food he ate. He broke the bread and he thanked it. He took the wine and he gave thanks for it. He was thankful for everything. He was thankful for God when he heard his prayers. I thank you, Father, that you hear my prayers. I know you always hear my prayers. Thank you, God. He never shouted, unfair. This is unfair that, that they're whooping me for your, your healing. This is unfair that I have to go to your cross. Why don't you go to your own cross? Wah, wah, wah. He didn't say this ain't right that I have to bear the sins of the whole world when I never even sinned. said, because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He kept a heart of joy through it all. That's how he endured the midnight hour. That's how you do it. That's how winning is done. Thank you, Mary. Anybody in here watch Rocky? Just for clarification, let me tell you about Rocky. I liked the first one when I was a kid. Didn't care nothing about the rest of them until Rocky Balboa, the last one. Okay, I like the first and the last. Some of you go watching this second, the third and fourth one and thinking, I don't see what he sees in this. I didn't like them. <laughs> so Jesus is put in a tomb. He puts his, his life in the hands of his Father. Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. That's faith. I'm laying it all up to, it's up to you now, Father. But God resurrects him. And that same day, we see him seven miles down the road, chasing down some people who have lost their perspective. On the road to Emmaus, two people who, I don't even know what happened. We thought Jesus was the one, man. They're, they're headed home. They're gone. They lost their perspective. But Jesus chases them down and he begins to open up the scriptures to them and, and tell them things and remind them of things. And they get so excited, joy starts to rise in their heart again. They say, come on in and eat dinner with us. Don't leave. Please stay with us. And he comes in and he sits down at the table and they ask him to bless the food. They didn't recognize him the whole time. But the moment he gave thanks, they recognized him. That's Jesus. Because I recognize him giving thanks. I see it. That's Jesus. You want to be like Jesus? Give thanks in all circumstances. So there we were on the 18th hole. I hit my next shot 
a little bit past the green, and, and Heath hit his just a little short of the green. And by this time, we're neck and neck, and he hits his next putt a little short, about four foot short. I hit my little chip. It hit a piece of grass or something and came up short about eight foot. I'm like, oh, now I got to hit an eight foot putt. He only hit a four foot putt. That ain't fair. I hit the tree on the way down here. That wasn't fair. Stole my st- I hit the best shot of my life. This ain't nothing. It's fair. So I line my putt up, and I hit it. It's the right speed, and it's going right at the cup, and at the last moment, it breaks to the left and misses by about two inches. It's just a fun game. I'm tapping in. Keith's got a four-footer for the win. What do you think? I'm overthinking. Lord, please don't let him. (laughs) (laughs) Heath gets up there. Right dead center in the cup. And he beat me by one stroke. And he kept the belt. (laughs) Now, y'all know how competitive I am. And it pains me to even have to tell you this story. But do you know what I was thinking at that moment when I heard that clack? I was thinking, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I can play golf with my brother. Thank you for letting him win. Doctor said he should have been dead three years ago. Thank you, God. Thank you that my brother won. Thank you for this beautiful day, and we got to compete. We had so much fun. Thank you, God. I'm not even going to be upset, because <laughs> after all, I beat him on the front nine. <laughs> and we did tie. We both, both shot the same thing on 18. So, But I'll let him think he's got the belt. And I was thankful for our boys that's growing up into men. And one day, they will beat their daddy. Another 10 years. Give them another 10, 15 years. They got it in them. We got good boys. We got a good family. I got a good girl. I got a mama that can cook. A good mama up there with her Bible, highlighting everything I say. Praise God. I got the most beautiful wife in the world, the best support I could ever have. I wouldn't trade her for anything in this world. And I got this beautiful church. What in the world do I have to be unthankful for? Why would I ever want to say another negative thing? I know I will. Because <laughs> I'm human. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like I did at Power and Tail. I'm going to purpose to even go farther in my degree of perspective. Seeing things from God's point of view. Now, is the Father thankful? Is Father God thankful? Where does it say in the Bible that Father God's thankful? Well, it doesn't have to be said. It is implied throughout the entire 66 books. He's thankful for you. He loves you. I think it says it in the the parable of the prodigal son. When the knucklehead takes off and wants his inheritance now and wants to do his own thing and goes out and does riotous living and does whatever he wants to do. He wants to spend up all, he wants to do his thing. He wants to sow his wild oats like so many of us and the father. What does he do? In that day, the customary thing to do 
would be to say, that boy has no part with me. He's, he's no longer th- of this family. He has rejected me. He has embarrassed the family. I, will, I shun him, but not the father in the parable. He sits on the front steps and he waits. He waits and he watches. And when the son finally gets tired of running and he decides he better come home, he's thankful. The father runs to him. He runs to him says, put the robe back on him. Get him some new shoes. Here, take my signet ring. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to party because my son was dead, but now he's alive. He's come home. And that's God's heart, that not any should perish but have eternal life. He's thankful for every one of you who have made a decision to follow him. If there's anybody in here that hadn't made that decision, hadn't thought about what Jesus gave up to become a man, to humble himself and put himself in the form of a servant, to endure our pain and suffering on the cross, to take our shame and our sorrow, take our stripes and bear our sin. Why don't you look at it from a different perspective today? Why don't you stop spending your life on riotous living? Come home. And the Father will be so thankful. And Jesus will say, yes. Because when I endured that cross, it was for the joy set before me, and you are my joy. Come home. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.